Alone and Afraid, that's how Sergeant Rocky Sickman spent 444 days as a hostage of the Iranian regime. Rocky was one of 52 Americans taken captive by the radical Ayatollah when his supporters stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and took its staff and security personnel hostage. For the next year and a half, Rocky was held captive, enduring torture and fearing death at the hands of the radical hardliners holding him prison. Rocky's story of perseverance against all odds is incredibly motivating, and I am excited to share it with you all. I hope you enjoy this very special edition of the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know about future episodes. I came from a small town, 50, I always said, dogs and cats included. My parents, they, they taught me three things. They taught me love of family, love of faith, and love of country. And little did I realize that those three things would eventually help me survive a very difficult turmoil in the, the Middle East. Rocky Sickman was a small town boy from Missouri looking to see the world. He saw the Marine Corps as that opportunity. Little did he know, he would go through hell to get back to that small town in Missouri. My, my father was World War II, my brother was Vietnam, and I wanted to serve the country, and also I wanted to see the world outside the small town of Crockville, Missouri, in Washington, Missouri. Wonderful memories, and again, these memories of growing up in those communities that kept me alive. I elected, instead of uh, my high school coach uh, was seeking a small scholarship for football, instead I went over one Saturday and joined the Marine Corps. My father came back every Saturday night. We'd sit down at the table and your father would ask you, what'd you do today? And uh, he came to me and I said, I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, not even looking up, he tells my, my mother, he goes, uh, tell Rocky to tell us what he did today, you know, Tony. She said, Naraki, tell us what you did today. And I said, well, I joined the United States Marine Corps. And they all looked up at me like, what the heck? I was uh, reading a New York Times magazine. It was an article about a Marine. See the world, join the Marine Corps. There's a Marine in front of an American embassy. I said, I want to do that. So sure enough, I took my dad's Chevy pickup truck, went in Union, Missouri, and went to the uh, recruiter. And I said, I want to do this, but before I do that, I want to see the world. It was right after the Vietnam War, uh, which it ended in 75, and I did the delay entry program. Uh, went in 1976, went to San Diego, it was a Hollywood Marine. You had Hollywood, or you had uh, sand fleas over on the East Coast. From there, I went to Asia went to Europe, came back, and I just so happened to met a young girl. <laughs> I said, hey, I got this last gig before I go. It's uh, Marine security guard duty, and it's going to be about three years. You know, she was going into the college or dancing, and I said, hey, if everything works out, we'll hopefully get together 
that November, December in uh, Germany to go skiing. Well, that obviously uh, never took place. So that's uh, when I first got to Iran, October 7, 1979. Rocky arrived at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, a young man, only 21 years old, ready for duty and ready for adventure. The American Embassy in 1979, uh, January, February um, time period, had been attacked and there was a firefight. The embassy was actually closed down at a period of time and then reopened. So they had talked about Iran. As of January, February of 1979, there had been 20,000 Americans in the country of Iran. By the time I got there on October 7th, there were only 65 Americans. My passion of being in the service was being able to meet the wonderful people and see the world when you've been to so many different places. And you have no idea how wonderful it is to live in the United States of America. We take things for granted. And so I got to Iran, and myself and a detachment of Marines, I think there were about five of us or so. That first night we got to uh, the airport, came in in plain clothes. We were carrying sea bags. Obviously, going to the Tehran Airport, International Airport, uh, they surrounded us uh, at the airport that night, just landing into the country of Iran. And they made us strip our sea bag out all over the, uh, the main terminal of Tehran International Airport. You know, putting our skivvies out to have our names stamped on it. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is how they greet us coming into their country. The folks that were outside waiting for us, they obviously realized that we weren't coming up. They came in to see us be surrounded by the Revolutionary Guard. They were basically looking uh, to see what we were bringing in the country. So they finally talked to them, got us to, you know, to pack our sea bag back up. Rocky arrived at a country on edge with the ousting of Shah Reza Pahlavi in the Iranian revolution happening only months before. Now Ayatollah Khomeini and his government of radical Islamists was in control. That next morning, uh, I woke up to the prayer service of the Quran being called to pray. I mean, a, a very beautiful country, snow-covered mountains to the, the north, so beautiful. So I was uh, really excited to be in a new country, meeting new people. Uh, like I said, 65 wonderful Americans. I had gotten there, and obviously, uh, you know, meeting everybody. And your responsibility as a Marine security guard was to provide protection to personnel, documents, and property of the United States of America. President Jimmy Carter had made the controversial decision to allow the Shah into the United States to receive cancer treatment, a decision that enraged the Iranians. Protests ensued, and on the morning of November 4th, 1979, they reached a fever pitch. Obviously, we had had word 
that the Shah of Iran had just been allowed into the United States weeks earlier. And even President Carter, he had uh, told his cabinet, so if I let the Shah in, what are you going to tell me when the Islamic Republic of Iran takes our people hostage? And it's interesting, two weeks after he said that, that's exactly what happened. Radical Iranian hardliners, followers of the Ayatollah Khomeini, stormed and overran the U.S. Embassy. All of a sudden, my walkie-talkie had recall, recall. And there have been demonstrations for the past two weeks, and they were basically looking for the time and the opportunity. That morning, November 4th, I got the, the call my walkie-talkie. I turned around and looked at the front gate. Sure enough, they were coming over the, the gate. I could run pretty fast, and I got back to the chancery the main embassy building. Billy Gallegos was closing the front door, and he saw me, and I squeezed in. I went back and donned my shotgun, my pistol, my flak jacket. Your adrenaline's pumping, because everything that you would train for now is, is taking hold. Obviously, they start pounding on the front door and down in the basement. Billy had already said, hey, they got in. I'm closest to the steps. I run downstairs. As I run downstairs, go on my gas mask, and I see Billy pointing to the back corner to see a, a room with smoke coming out of it where they had uh, tore the bars out. Around the corner come four Iranian women being pushed by Iranian men. I will never forget when the Islamic Republic of Iran, the men pushed the women. They were willing to use them as shields. Of course, our orders were to stand down, don't fire, don't retaliate. Rocky was captured by the Iranians. Enduring the unthinkable, he was one of 52 Americans held hostage in Iran as a political prisoner during the Iran hostage crisis. I regret not ever pulling that trigger. I sat in a chair tied. If I wasn't being interrogated, you sat in that chair, just, you just hoped and prayed that this thing would come to an end. And then it's 400 days. We sat locked in a room for 400 days. Went outside about seven to 10 times. All those days after I sat there and I, I regretted not ever pulling that trigger. But again, I was following my orders. Tear gas popped and they all fled the building and moved to the very top of the embassy building where we then barricaded. And I was very uh, proud of the Marines that were there. We were able to hold the chancery for about three hours, waiting, waiting on the Islamic Republic of Iran to come to remove everybody. And they never came. Finally, our government said, hey, give yourself up and we'll get this resolved with diplomacy. So the Marines were the first ones out. It's a very difficult day because Marines do not give up, but obviously when it comes to your direct order, you have to give yourself up. From that point on, for the next 444 days, 52 Americans were stripped their freedom, 
their dignity and their pride known as the Iranian hostage crisis. Never did I think, as we sat there, that uh, people back home were thinking of us. Because here you were locked up in the American embassy. It was a 23-acre compound, and windows were broken. You're sitting there in that chair and in the corner of a room. You're thinking that the Vietnam War had just ended. My brother came home, and uh, people really did not care about the veterans that were coming home. And now I'm 10,000 miles away from home. You can hear that the city of Tehran start in the morning. It would peak by the sound of the horns and the vehicles and the demonstrations out in the street, death to America, and then down to where they all went to bed. And there was day one, and it kept going by day five, and you're sitting there thinking that you were forgotten, which we thought we were going to be forgotten, but we weren't. As a political hostage, Rocky was at the mercy of the Islamic Republic of Iran. They locked us in rooms. I was in a room with two other people. That's where we lived for 444 days. I prayed a lot. My mother, when I left for boot camp, she told me, Rocky, you make sure that you pray because someday you're going to need God. And you know what? She was so freaking right. I got messages. I got a message one night. It was so low. My colleagues, not many, but uh, some tried to commit suicide while they were there. Because everybody goes through difficult challenges in their life in different ways. And one night I, I was in a very dark hole and I just, I said, God, please give me a sign and let me know that I'm going to make it out of here. It was sitting here asking for a sign and the lights were off at that night and I'm just sitting there watching the guard walk back and forth in the hallway through the light uh, underneath the door all of a sudden the door vibrates Billy and Jerry jumped to their knees and all of a sudden the guard came to our door he knew our door had rattled so hard he thought somebody had knocked and didn't put the piece of paper underneath my eyes just bulge out. To me, it was a sign from the man upstairs that he was there. 444 days was bad, but the, the worst time was when they put us up on the mock firing squad, and I thought I was a dead man at the age of 22. It's a reminder for me that freedom is not free, and I got a second chance in life. We all, we should never forget what happened. In April of 1980, the United States government attempted a rescue mission to free the hostages. Operation Eagle Claw, as it was known, was a failure that resulted in the deaths of eight U.S. servicemen. The night of April 25th, they came into our room where we were locked. And if you wanted to go to the restroom, You'd have to knock on the door, put your piece of paper underneath the door to let the guard know which door would be knocked on. They would blindfold you when they came and take you to the restroom. Even though you knew where the restroom was, down the hall to the right, every time you left that room for 444 days, they blindfolded you. Sometimes they'd tie you or handcuff you just to go to the restroom. This night, they came running into the room, and whenever they opened that door, you jumped because you didn't know if they were going to start coming in shooting or what. 
they came in, handcuffed me to the left of Billy. My right hand was handcuffed to Jerry. We were blindfolded. We were taken down to an embassy vehicle, put into a vehicle. Billy, in turn, was now handcuffed left to the vehicle. Jerry was handcuffed to the right of the vehicle. They took a picture. And you could see this flash through the blindfold. And then they put a blanket over top of us. And there they drove until the next morning. We finally got to our destination. There was no stopping at it a rest area to go to the restroom. If you had to go to the restroom, you had to do it on yourself. It wasn't until then we got to that location, we were able to clean up. They moved us again the next morning, at uh, one o'clock in the morning, moved us to another undisclosed area. And when they left this last place, they told us you've been to Isfahan. You're going now to another location. So they put us in this next location for a couple months. Then they brought us back, but we really didn't know what had happened. Nobody sat down and said, hey, there had been a rescue operation and eight people had died. The only thing we heard was just us. We heard no more Americans. So at one point in time, you're thinking, God, there had been a rescue operation and everybody had been freed and we're the only ones. It wasn't until they brought us back to the American embassy they put us into one of the offices one night, unblindfolded. We looked at the office walls, and you could tell there had been a firefight. There were bullet holes all over the, the walls inside, and you're sitting there thinking, something happened here. We don't know what. And that night, they put us into prison. And once they put us into prison, then we heard the other Americans. And then we knew, <laughs> we weren't feeling this bad, and we knew there were other Americans. It wasn't until I got home did I find out that eight individuals paid the ultimate sacrifice. They gave their life to try to regain our freedom. Every morning I wake up, I never forget those eight people that paid the ultimate sacrifice. After 444 days and what felt like a lifetime, the United States government secured the release of the hostages through diplomatic negotiations. Rocky and the rest were heading home. January 20th, 1981, they come into our room and they blindfold us. You have to understand, they took our shoes from us in 1980, gave us plastic slippers, and my size was nine, my foot, and I got a size six shoe. That night, they took us out of the room, and instead of turning right the way we came, we're blindfolded. They turn left. And I'm the first one, we weren't tied, our hands weren't handcuffed, which was a good sign, but we're still blindfolded. And so all of a sudden he turns right and I opened the door and there's a, a gush of cold air and I walk out in this cold air and I'm walking into something I hadn't felt for two years, snow. And my toes are running through the snow, it's so wet and cold. And all of a sudden, they put us onto a vehicle, and the vehicle drives off. It jumps a curb, turns right, drives for about 30 minutes or so, and all of a sudden, turns right again. And we heard the sound of a jet engine. And this is something you had prayed for, you had hoped for, you would cry for a second opportunity in life. And hearing this bird, and you're just, your heart's pounding, and all of a sudden, they tell you that I'm blindfolded. 
here you are looking at people that you hadn't seen since November 4th, 1979. You look bad, you smell bad, and you're in shock. And they start grabbing each one of us one by one, taking us outside, and they're chanting Tattoo America, spitting on us, boarding the back of an airplane. And you get up, and as I walk up the back gangplane, I, I, see, and I see a woman. I hadn't seen a woman in 444 days. And here she says, please, we must be seated very quickly. The Islamic Republic of Iran, they know that taking hostages is a good thing. The United States paid Iran $8.3 billion in gold. That's the reason why we were let go. Because the Shah died on July 27, 1980. And that plane arrived on January 17th. But the Islamic Republic of Iran, and they told us that your government comes and goes every four to eight years. And we will use you. It's not that we hate American people, but we will use you to humiliate your government. Here we were, January 20th, 1981, and we get on this plane, and you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody's celebrating because you don't know what's going to happen to this plane. You don't really know what's going to happen, period. And all of a sudden, the pilot says, please, we must uh, leave very quickly. So all of a sudden, they close the back door, and you start looking around and say, Where's everybody else at? You know, where's um, where's Joe and Sally and Fred? And they go, no, those those people, they, they're not here. They were let go a year earlier. And we had no idea. We were the only 52 left out of the 65 that were taken. That others had been let go. You did not want to leave anybody behind. They assured us the pilot attacks at the end of the runway turns left, turns left again. He's got his foot on the brake and he starts accelerating the plane shaking. And all of a sudden it comes back down to an island. All the things that they put us through, the mox firing squads, the rush roulette, just a humiliation. We're sitting there thinking they're just doing it one last time to screw with us. Little did we realize that they turned the runway lights off 20 minutes to let Carter leave office once he was out of office, just to stab President Carter in the back, they turned the runway lights back on. And this is not about Republican or Democrat, it's about the Islamic Republic of Iran that hated our government, period. What did they do to President Reagan? Two years later, 1983, they killed 240 Marines in Beirut. It is one of those things that they wanted to stab Carter in the back, and they did. They waited 20 minutes until he was out of office, and we didn't know this correlation. I mean, you're just sitting there just in disbelief. You're free, but you're not free. You're on this airplane. The only thing you could hear was the sound of the jets, and all of a sudden, the pilot comes on and says, all right, it's time to go, and he starts taxiing down. The pair of pants I was wearing, I had worn for over 200 days. It wasn't until we got in the Turkish airspace that the pilot came over the air and said, hey, two Turkish fighters were escorting us, and we came unglued. At that time, we knew that we were free to enjoy what that American flag represents, freedom. And so uh, you knew then that uh, you were bound for home. Rocky and the other 51 Americans had endured the unimaginable, but they were safe. They were on their way home, and most importantly, they were free.